Hello and welcome to the 76th episode of The Sausage Factory. This is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves and then in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Sublevel Zero by Sigtrap Games. Gary and Luke, who are you? What do you do? Go on, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it would be you. Um, I'm Luke. Uh, I'm the lead programmer at Sigtrap. Uh, and I basically, betwe- I mean, between the two of us, we're sort of the core of the team. So we've developed the game together and, and designed it. Uh, so I do the the bulk of the sort of the framework engine kind of level coding, although we do use Unity, but I, I sort of do the low-level stuff. Um, we've got another programmer, Fee, who does the procedural and AI stuff, and I do all the rest. Yeah, I'm, I'm Gary. I'm a lead artist at Sigtrap, so I did all the pretty visual stuff, uh, all the three models and textures and materials in Sublevel Zero, and that's pretty much my job role. Okay. See, first question, nice and easy, and start you off, and then eventually get whatsoever. So, the next question I have for you both is, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? As opposed to tabletop board games, that's what's differentiate these days. Of course. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess we've established that I'm going first now, so I'll, yeah, uh, looks like, I'll, yeah. I'll jump in. Um, so, my route to making video games is quite convoluted really um i a a very long time ago i sort of messed around with uh sort of mods and things for for things like unreal tournament and uh and and that sort of that sort of era of stuff i never finished anything it was always very much um, a hobby what was your your favorite like built-in mod for Unreal, I've got one. You mean the you mean the mutators or mm, the mutations ones? I mean, there were modifications that were built into the game that allowed you. Yeah, stuff. I, well, uh, in 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 the original UT, yeah. uh, I was I was all about the. Uh, I don't know. There's so many. Yeah, and I, I'm actually you know because I was I was gonna I was gonna say the one that that, that makes your head bigger as you as you yeah. as you. As you as you start to win, but I'm I'm starting to wonder if that was built in or if it was a, no, a third was, party one. That was Fat Boy. Because, because yeah. yeah, that was it. That was the, that was the one. Um, <laughs> and I actually I remember um, yeah because I remember when I sort of poked around in Unreal Ed, uh, I discovered that you could that there was a parameter on like player objects that you could you could set the fatness. I just you know set this slider and make them ridiculous to the point where it would completely break the models and things would start going inside out and, and crazy stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, that that was that was one I played with a lot. But like I say, I just couldn't remember if that was a, a built-in one or not so long ago. Well, it certainly was. I remember the slider in my brain and looking at it now. You know, we have that memory like stuff, big yeah. screen, radio buttons everywhere, and it was definitely Fat Boy and Instajib. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Um, so that was another 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 big one. Um, yeah, so a very long time ago, that was sort of I, I I dabbled in that, but I didn't really didn't really do much with it. Um, a friend and I uh, started making a mod for Unreal Tournament 2004, uh, which kind of got 
about halfway to where we wanted it to be, but ended up actually hitting the limits of their netcode, strangely enough. So we sort of pushed it off to Unreal Tournament 3, or I think it was 2007 at the point before it came out. Uh, But just that never really went anywhere because the the the, the netcode actually had the same kind of limitations it was a vehicle based thing and it was it was physics based and the um essentially the forces being sent over the network so that they got truncated uh, and you ended up with a situation where the host um had sort of could accelerate a lot harder than than clients so it never really worked out um but that was a long time ago uh, and since then, I've done a PhD in physics. Uh, so I was doing this PhD. Uh, I love physics, but I did sort of sort of realize that, that what I enjoyed most about the day-to-day aspects of it were the programming. So I thought, well, okay, let's think, sort of think about what I could do with, with programming on a, on a day-to-day level. And I was still at this point sort of messing around with things, and I'd, I'd sort of picked up Unity. Uh, and I was actually dabbling with remaking the mod that we'd been making on, on Unreal Tournament and, and sort of in, in, a, in a standalone sort of way. And that got quite a long way. Uh, so I got involved in the Manchester sort of indie development scene. And there are lots of game jams and things. Uh, particularly, you know, obviously Ludendare is, is, is quite popular. Uh, so at some point, um, Fee, who, as I say, is our procedural and AI coder, um, and, and, and Jay, who's our sound designer, the three of us were in a pub uh, after one of the indie dev meetups. Right. And we were just sort of, uh, and this is kind of getting, because this is, this is you know, Sub-Level Zero is my first game, so inevitably my, my story about how I got into game development sort of involves Sub-Level Zero. Um, and we were we were just sort of reminiscing about descent, uh, just completely off the cuff, uh, no no real reason why it had come up, uh, and sort of discovered that all three of us, you know, it was a it was kind of a major feature in our uh, early game playing experience, and kind of had helped define what what video games meant to us. Can I just slightly interject there because I, I must confess that I'm I'm quite old. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> me. Uh, and I've I played my first land game was Doom, um, and when, I, when I discovered telefragging for the first time, never forget <laughs> it. Uh, we were in a land. There was four of us sitting around. We had CAD machines, and they're really powerful. And they just happened to be able to play Doom during lunch break. Awesome, and we did that. And uh, we'll just never forget it. Running into a teleporter and someone dying in front of me. Like, well, how did that happen? Oh God! <laughs> um, but what's really for, for me, Descent. I described it, and I think it was accurate. It's like, wow, this is the first proper 3D game. This isn't pretend 3D like mm. Doom is. Um, I mean, it is 2.5D, isn't it? They call it um, facetiously. Yeah. Um, but it's it's 60 degrees of freedom, isn't it? You can move in all directions, which is exactly. Some people was quite disorientating, uh, but I actually didn't have that problem um, at all. I mean, I know a lot of people get motion sickness playing um, various FPSs, especially Half Life. I remember. People getting quite sick in Half Life Two, but for me, not a problem. I I just loved zipping in and out, and just it had the same core construct. The first Descent, first construct as Doom. It had keys, it had doors, and it had you know the power ups and the weapons and stuff. 
sublime stuff. So you just yeah. you were drawn back to that, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like you say, it's a, it it was it was kind of it was really groundbreaking in, in many ways, uh, and as such, kind of had stuck in our memories. Uh, but also because there'd been so little after it, you know. So we yeah. were obviously just sort of reminiscing about it, but also. Uh, just kind of feeling a bit sad that, <laughs> that yeah, there I mean, hadn't been much they, in in the meantime. There was there was three descent games with some expansions. Yeah. And there was Forsaken, and then there was Terminal Velocity. They're the only games I can know that actually followed the same kind of mode. Isn't it, really? Yeah, and there there have been a few um, in in the meantime. There's one called Retrovirus, which was uh, I think 2012, and there's there's one in early access at the moment on Steam called Neon X. I'm never sure how to say this, and we, we've talked to the guy, but I've, I've not actually talked to him. Just, just, just instant message. So uh, I, I can't actually say it right. I think it's supposed to be said neon XSs, but it's spelled neon and then in capitals XSZ. <laughs> uh, so that's a bit confusing. But that's in early access on Steam, and there's, you know, there's sort of a handful of, of things that have happened. Mm, now, there's another one called but, but Geocar as well. That's yeah, there, there, there is another one, yeah, and that's another early access at the moment. Uh, so it feels like we're, and obviously there's Descent Underground now, uh, so it feels like we're sort of, maybe there's a bit of a resurgence. I, I, honestly, I don't know if it'll catch on. I, I, I don't particularly know why Six Degree of Freedom shooters haven't caught on in, in, in that way that, that first-person shooters have, but I, I doubt, if I'm, you know, if I'm being sort of cynically, brutally honest... I doubt that there, there is anything different to this particular sort of resurgence, as it were, that will cement six stuff games as as a as a sort of a major fixture yeah. in in the gaming landscape, which I think is really unfortunate. But um, but I think that's the way it is. So we're we're just you know we're we're, we're making a game that we that we want to make, and hopefully people want to play it. Uh, but but we I, yeah we don't really have any illusions as to it being a. Uh, a massive kind of rebirth of the of the genre, unfortunately. So going back to the original question, then you were you you basically found yourself going into game jam of the game jam, which is fantastic uh, yeah. experience, no doubt. And then you had a conversation with fellow developers and creators, and going, "Do you remember Descent?" And then that exactly, and yeah, and that and that that kind of uh, you know we 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 had this idea of of a procedural uh, descent kind of game, oh. and 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 thought that would be cool uh, and. Obviously, given that that would be a reasonably large project, didn't really give much more thought to it because we were fairly busy with with our with our lives at, at the time. Um, so we didn't think much of it for a while, and then the next Ludendare came around, and the theme was beneath the surface. So we thought, well, we've got to do it then, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. so, um, so, with the team of five of us, uh, so the, the, it was it was the three of us, and then and then Gary and and, and Will, who's our composer, um, uh, and we, we we all got together and did this thing in three days, and it was pretty cool. Um, and sort of decided to polish it up, treat it as sort of a prototype of a larger game, uh, see if publishers were interested, and 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 try and make a go of it. So obviously, Mastertronic uh, picked us up. And that was that. That was that was the you know, the the birth of of sub level zero and 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 as I say, my first uh, my first proper game, as it were. I'm I'm, I'm I can't congratulate you enough because it is a <laughs> fantastic piece of coding. Uh, I'm not saying it because you are a coder, but I'm just saying it generally. And also looks fabulous as well, Gary. Because Gary, <laughs> how did you make your your start? Is it similar? I mean, how 
how did you find yourself uh, summoning to the realms of, of uh, video game creation? Uh, okay, well, I, I sort of started off a, a little bit of a, a, a different way, I guess. Uh, I've, I've always sort of had, I've always played games uh, ever since I was, I was little. Uh, it's kind of like the, the sort of cliche, like, oh, I play games, I want to make games. And that was pretty much my entire thing all the way through school, through college. It was always, you know, I want to make games, I want to make games. So I, I, I went to university and studied a game design course at uh, the University of Huddersfield. And, Basically, my my start in the uh, sort of in the industry was when I was on uh, work placement. So Huddersfield has a sort of in-house, uh, sort of on-campus uh, games developer called uh, Canalside Studios, and the way they work is they take on uh, eight undergrads a year, and they give us like a sort of bursary so we can like pay for our pay to live and during that year you sort of get games development experience you get sort of mentorship uh you basically work on games so we we started off working on a few mobile titles um and at the time like the programmers didn't really want to work in 3d they wanted to sort of stay 2d where pretty much the entire art team that had been brought on for that year was we were all we were all 3d artists so we were like we want to do something 3d um so we at the, around Christmas time, we basically got a new project, so the studio sort of moved from like making sort of commercial games to release on my like, App Store and or like on Xbox or whatever. They sort of moved like they shifted towards educational and uh, sort of serious games. So they started working with clients who wanted, you know, we worked with the West Yorkshire Fire Brigade to sort of create a hazard perception simulator that they could, you know, give to their staff and the sort of staff could play it and they could show it at like events or whatever. Like, uh, and at the time, sort of VR was becoming this thing, so. Uh, we, we sort of built this sort of hazard perception simulator, like a prototype with sort of VR in mind. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, like, I didn't really enjoy that. I didn't really... Serious games kind of sucked. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, I really didn't enjoy it. Yeah, the, uh, whole, it was, the whole game experience thing makes me... <clears throat> I don't like that word. I mean, I know it's a, it's a thing, it's a valid thing, but it just... It, I, I fear it doesn't really credit much intelligence on the part of the user it feel yeah it, it feels very sort of it immediately feels very skinner box kind of yeah kind of just a uh, compulsive loop kind of kind of thing which does yeah it, it, it certainly has immediate kind of negative connotations I, I i mean well i mean this is getting off topic and obviously this is gary's question <laughs> um but I, I think it can be done right but it's but it's very very difficult Anyway, yeah. sorry. <laughs> that's, that's okay, it's alright. Um, so yeah, it's... During that year, I, I decided to sort of get myself out there, start networking, uh, got introduced to the sort of Yorkshire development community, which is, you know, very, you know, amazingly welcome, uh, welcoming group of people. And through that, I uh, started going to events. Um, I, I also got involved with Microsoft. I became a games ambassador. Uh, so I sort of started evangelizing their products, evangelizing their services and stuff. Uh, did a few things with them, which was uh, interesting. Uh, and then, sort of at the end of at the end of that year, um, a group of friends of mine, uh, whilst I was working on my placement, they'd started up their own company and they uh, had basically secured uh, sort of development costs and 
all that stuff. Like they also work with Mastertronic. So this was my introduction to, to Mastertronic and my introduction to them. So uh, they were a small developer called Hypersloth. And they were based in Huddersfield as well. So basically at the end of my placement, I was offered a year uh, working with them on their, on their game called Dream. And so that's a first-person atmospheric adventure game where you sort of play the role of uh, this character called Howard Phillips and you basically introspect and you you, you basically sleep, you sleep at night or you, and then you dream and you play the majority of the game inside the character's dreams. So it's set in these really sort of beautiful uh, environments, these really sort of abstract like landscapes. Uh, and, and that was sort of my sort of major break, I guess, into industry was, you know, sort of working with these guys uh still sort of really close to him to this day uh you know we pretty much speak every day and it's still nice to sort of you know just catch up with what they're doing and pretty much that was another sort of look into vr as well sort of as the dk1 side rolling around and uh dream was going to be a, a vr game um originally but i think oculus dropped support for ue3 so that couldn't be done um so yeah after after that year we 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 did the game jam in April and like Luke said we sort of polished it up and we pitched to publishers and and then Mastertronic sort of were interested and they sort of picked us up so that's that's really uh my my journey I guess yeah that's that's how I did things so right. I finished I finished my degree this year while simultaneously working on sub level 0 which was Oh god, it's it was insane. so stressful. Yeah, it was insane. Like yeah. I was trying to get all my Don't university do modules done. Yeah, if there's one piece of advice, it would would be not to do university work and then try and make a commercial game at the same time. Because, yeah, <laughs> it's, know, it, was, it was pretty grim. I know very few people. Um, like I think the most famous one, and you probably go, "Oh, really, Chris?" But is 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 David Braben and Ian Bell, who are Cambridge undergraduates doing mm. physics, and they did Elite in nineteen eighty four. Um, or three, four, four, eighty-four. I should know that. And uh, I remember seeing an interview with David Braben. He said it felt like his degree was a hobby, and his because <laughs> it flipped, and it felt it's like mm. a very odd thing to say. But uh, um, very clever chap, obviously. But it's not something everyone can do. And uh, clearly, those two were, were polymaths, and uh, these people know a lot about things that are very good at a lot of things. And uh, it's not for for everyone. So yeah, you. you well done to Gary to, to, to doing that. You may have saved a few years off of your life. I'm just having some horrible flashbacks now. Like, it's, it's okay. You know, thanks for bringing this up again. Yeah. Um, all I can say is things that mattered three or four months ago, like grades and finishing, it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've, I've learned that very quick now. It's awesome. You know? It's so liberating. Like, Hang on, it's just a, yeah, it doesn't really matter anymore. Spent like four years of my life getting a piece of paper. And then, you know, but it turns out that I just sort of started this thing up, and now yeah. we've made we've made a game. I didn't really need any sort of experience to do it. We just sort of did it. You but know what was, I mean? It's there just... was probably nuances there, and things you studied, and things you understood, and ways of thinking that actually was worthwhile. It was. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Like, that's really what the degree's about. Uh, yeah. To advocate the higher education. I got I got a lot out of it, you know. You, you you learn skills, you meet people. Again, I got my, you know, hypersloth 
working with those guys that sort of come through university because we were in the same year together and it was sort of like you know I was quite a high achiever they were high achievers and so when it come round to it it was like okay we need to we need to get another artist on board for Dream like oh, oh yeah what about Gary and that you know that sort of thought process come round from the fact that we'd all sort of done relatively well at university so you know it's 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 fun it's definitely worth it I I think my course, uh, I'm probably going off a little bit off topic, but my course was quite broad uh, in the sense that it was sort of game design. And it's like, that in itself is a specialism. Uh, the sort of yeah. the design process where my my course sort of tried, tries to sort of teach you a little bit of everything. So you do a bit of design, you do a bit of 3D modeling, a bit of 3D animation, you do a bit of 2D stuff. And it's sort of like, you know, a general sort of, overview of the development process and and then really you've got to sort of specialize after that but it was you know it was a good experience got some out of it got a degree so cool sounds uh, like yeah. <laughs> students should listen to the show i'm just saying <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe should. um so thanks for that so your first game and we've had people on this show veterans who've been doing it for 34 years and it's still got that enthusiasm I still mm-hmm. still love it, honestly. Um, um, so you know, we, we've had all sorts of people on. In fact, the last show, last uh, we, we broadcast, um, had uh, someone who used to do um, used to work for Shiny Entertainment and did uh, Citizen Kabuto and stuff, and they're doing the, mm. this new game. And he's been doing it for decades since the late nineties. You know, actually, no, he worked in the mid eighties on the Spectrum and stuff. So he, you know, and he's still got it. Still has a love for it even after all this time. So it says a lot about the medium itself. Um, yeah. So um, this, this next question is really hard to answer because the way I worded it is very punchy, but I'm just going to give you a framework <laughs> for it so you'll understand what I'm trying to get at. You are both creators, and creators, in my mind, the best ones are influenced by something or someone or others or, or something. What do you think? as creators of video games, influences you the most? Wow. That is, yeah, that is a hard <laughs> question. <laughs> that's the question. That almost sounded... No, but it, it almost sounds like you're sort of drilling down to something, and, <laughs> and then the end of it is, is so what do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's basically... It's not the stupid, like, where do you get your ideas from? No, it's not really that. It's really, what do you find yourself orbiting... Whether yeah. you like it or not, what do you, you what are you drawn to, as you know when you're in the game creation process? What do you find is like? I would, I mean, I would almost, I'm gonna, given given the latitude you've sort of given, um, with 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 how to answer that question, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go outside games a bit actually. Okay, that's good. Um, because I mean, obviously there are you know a million and one sort of influences and and. Uh, Clearly, some of them are obvious, given, we, given we've just made a game that, that sort of essentially at its core aspires to be Descent. Um, but I think in a larger sense, because, I don't know, given my, given my sort of, you know, tying it back to the previous thing, given my sort of journey that's led me toward game development because I've done you know I've done not not sort of professionally so much but I've done 101 other things um, I've always I've, as, as long as I can remember I've always had projects you know whether they're sort of music or films or, or, or whatever I've always been sort of driven to, to, to do these sort of things so inevitably that involves looking at influences 
in a more holistic sense, right? I'm, I'm, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm creating something in medium X, that doesn't discount all my influences from media, you know, Y, Z, W, whatever. Um, I think everything, or well, most of the things that I that I tend to do, uh, a lot of it is is kind of influenced by. This sounds broad, but sci-fi in general. I'm 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 a I'm a really big sci-fi fan, uh, particularly in terms of reading. Um, and one of my one of my favourite authors uh, is Ian M. Banks, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago now. Um, but what I, I I don't know if, if if people are familiar with his his writing at all, but his his sort of most um, uh, important to me um, series of books is uh, are those based in this universe uh, where the the sort of the primary uh, the the analogs of humans as it were is this this culture the, 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 they are called the culture and they're not necessarily sort of homogenous in terms of uh, that the, the, there are multiple races and it's set in this sort of space opera kind of future where technology is basically able to do anything um the the society itself is essentially the, the the logistics of it are run by these artificial intelligences which exist can only exist in hyperspace because they're so complex uh that they they can't sort of they can't exist in normal space and they kind of run everything and it's this really kind of anarchistic society where there are no laws, no one has jobs unless they want to do things. Everything is provided for by this sort of, you know, by the logistics uh, coordinated by these minds, by these AIs. And the interesting thing about all of this is that it still it it it, it still boils down to human nature and characters. Yeah. Because you you kind of you have all this technology and you have this society where essentially everything could be perfect. <clears throat> but that's you know which which would almost invalidate the existence of anything that you'd call a story. Yeah, I mean, but, that, just the, but that's not what happens. Just because, answer, yeah, go, no, no, go go on. It's just that I love Colton novels as well. Um, huge, huge fan of them. In fact, I was actually working on an RPG where everyone's playing a high fantasy regular RPG, except one player. <laughs> One player is a member of the culture. No other players know this, but he's actually culture. And things happen, but you and I know, culture, listeners understand, can't actually die. They're mm. actually immortal, pretty much, kind of. Even when they have their heads chopped off. It just doesn't matter. It'll be right. And yeah. um, the idea of the game is that he's trying, or he or she is trying to manipulate or move society in a certain way, because that's what kind of feels like a good idea <laughs> and, that, and that's that's exactly the kind of thing isn't it because that's that's what essentially the, the culture novels are predicated on yeah. uh, is this idea that even when you've got all this technology you still people still want to kind of steer things and metal yeah and and the, the culture you know the culture has essentially if the culture has any single law it would be not to meddle <laughs> but they do. They do anyway. and, and, and that is and that is their that that is essentially their their, their raison d'etre. And and 
and you kind of see that. And again, they're not human, but they are human analogs, and you see that kind of human nature coming through. Yeah. Um, and th- this is getting a little bit off the off the topic That's of. All right. of my influences are, but but it's it, it is something that, that that kind of vision of the future, um, and I I it's it's actually a in a strange way it's a it's a vision of the future that I take a lot of comfort in because I I it speaks to me quite deeply um, because I do believe that something like that is essentially possible. Yes. Um, whether that that doesn't mean to say that it will happen. But I do, I do believe that it's that it, uh, you know, a thousand years in the future, um, that that technology, uh, if we are careful with it, could progress to the point where essentially it does solve all of these problems, and there's no reason why that couldn't be the case. Um, this kind of techno anarchist uh, sort of sort of solution to to all the world's problems, which you know, to, to some degree, is naive because there there will always be problems. But it, it's kind of a belief that. Um, even if there are always going to be problems, there can be a hell of a lot less problems than there are now. You know that there is that there is always something to aspire to. And is actually, believe it or not, trending this way, whether you like it or not. Exactly. All the yeah. data, all the survey, everything. But it's actually, yeah, it is trending that way. The, the media doesn't want to think that because they want to keep you interested. But actually, things are getting less and less. How can I say it? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to yeah. quote the Chinese curse. It's, it's it, no, absolutely, and uh, and I mean, obviously, we're, we're sort of starting to get into politics, but you you see you see the things of, of people sort of people have this. Uh, the, the the classic example is is people saying, "Oh, back in my day," yeah. uh, and and this idea that things were better when they were objectively not. <laughs> you know, you can look at you can look at any set of numbers you like yeah. and things were worse. Were worse. You know, worse. At, at any given point in in the past. Yeah. You know, there are there are small fluctuations. It, you, you know, you have things like um, the economic crash uh, yeah. a few years ago that, that that we're still sort of, you know, experiencing. But on the whole these things smooth out into what is essentially an upward curve. Mhm. And people, people, so, so psychologically, it's very difficult to get around that because people, you know, you ask people, and and, and there are surveys that that sort of sh- show this sort of thing that um, people always have the impression that crime is on the increase when in <laughs> fact crime is always <laughs> on the decrease, falling. always falling, especially uh, crime. especially violent crime, exactly. And people are sort of people think that there are more and more reasons to be scared where in, when in fact there are fewer and fewer uh, which is a really kind of interesting aspect of 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 politics and of psychology and and, and where sort of the media and, and 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 politics lead you and those kind of inbuilt sort of psychological aspects that get manipulated in this way and it's like you say, you, you know you look at numbers and, and 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 they are trending that sort of way and that that gives me a lot of hope and i i a lot of my kind of vision of the future, and the future is essentially what I'm interested in as a as a creator, um, which is not you know uh, across the board. That, that doesn't mean I will never want to make <laughs> sort of a medieval hack and slash, um, but it does inform my kind of view of 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 where the future could be heading. Okay. What about you, Gary? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, I've all that. Been, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> pretty blown away by all that stuff. I think my influences are a, a, a little bit uh, simpler in a way. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I just, I, for me, you know, I've already sort of said like games have. I've grew up with games, and it's always been about an experience, providing an experience. 
And for me, there's nothing more inspiring than being around other developers. I think that's a a big driving force for me, personally. Uh, Also, you know, I absolutely loved uh, games growing up, uh, sci-fi games in particular. So, you know, I'm a big Halo fan. Uh, I'm I'm actually trying to think, like, oh, God, like, what, what... what other sci-fi games are there apart from Halo? Like, <laughs> well, there are definitely more. I just my mind's a bit blank at the moment. So I mean, really, like, it does put you on the spot. This question doesn't no, it? No, yeah, it, it yeah, really does. Yeah, I, it, I told you, it gets I, worse. <laughs> Wait to see the next one. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> so you know, I, like, yeah. So oh, yeah. Of yeah. your peers, you're inspired by your peers. Yeah. Or you're influenced just, by them, you should say, by yours. And that's fantastic. Yeah. That's so, fantastic. like, you know, delivering, delivering experience, there's nothing more rewarding for me than going to a show with a game and for somebody to come off that game and go, yeah, I really like that. That That's rewarding to me. That's Yeah, yeah. It's a nice feeling to have. Yeah. And being surrounded by people who also help and and sort of that sense of community and sort of everyone's in this together and providing a, a good experience with pe- uh, for for players um and, and basically doing things that i myself sort of can relate to so you know you play a game you're really satisfied by it you love the story you love the visuals you love the uh, you know you love the characters it, it triggers that sort of emotional sort of like resonance in you where you have that appreciation yeah uh for 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 like a skill set like like being able to deliver something that's fun something that's rewarding and again sort of going back to, to to games like halo they were sort of like my 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 sort of childhood teen years were sort of wasted away on like Halo and Halo Two, and you know being being part of those like communities and and making like a great set of friends on there who I still speak to to this day, and and that yeah, there's a lot of things, but off the yeah. top of my head, like it's pretty much just those things. So I I think you can probably notice with the the visuals for sub level that I like things that glow, and <laughs> I and that has actually been a thing that. Uh, a few of my university friends have been like, "Oh wow, you've made Gary Lloyd the game," because I was known as like <laughs> the, the the emissive guy when I was at university. Because everything, every like prop, every asset that I made had to have some sort of glow on it. I just, I just love glowy stuff. So like, stuff that glows, uh, you know, yeah. Okay, just, well, yeah. Well, we're t- talking about that. It's weird. Do you know the, the questions? It's weird. One of them is about. <laughs> about that um, I'm going to ask you the next one speaking of developers which you know nice segue by me although I just called it a segue means now it's no longer a segue um, what developer do you most admire in the industry and, the, and why who do you think yeah they're doing good things they should carry on doing that again this is a hard question because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings but in any particular it can be a company I mean I've had developers say oh Nintendo okay great we can go with that <laughs> But, um, but who, who do you uh, point to and go, they're very good? Yeah, there's a few for me. Um, so, 
I think the the first one again is 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 sort of hypersloth. You know, they're they're the guys that really sort of broaden my horizons in in terms of you know, uh, starting being able to sort of start off as a bunch of students and then, you know, get get to a point where they, they've had a you know a nice successful uh, game. Uh, you know, you sort of go from that that transition from from student to to game maker and making a commercial product. And those guys will always, you know, I say to them you know quite a lot like you know without you guys like i wouldn't be where i am now you know what i mean because without that exposure that that they allowed me to have um it didn't that that sort of got the the gears turning for me uh so i'm always going to be thankful for those guys that's for offering me that true break into industry because uh you know it, it was just a really eye-opening experience of working with them for a year and sort of going to GDC and going to like events and again sort of seeing people react and like for them to sit down and play a game and to to come away and go like yeah that was great I really enjoyed that uh, again sort of a reward a very rewarding thing that sort of I hope to sort of pursue in my own uh, sort of creations and uh, I guess another one is sort of a really uh, like what I guess CD Projekt Red, they made The Witcher. I oh, honestly sorry. thought their sort of post-launch support, yeah, it's just something that's just not been done before in this climate of like season passes and like basically like you know cutting up a game and selling it off as DLC and sending this bit off to GameStop or sending this bit off to Game and and basically just you know cutting up the core game and just you know. Uh, selling pieces of DLC off which really you know should have been in the core game Uh, it was just so refreshing to see what CD Projekt Red did with uh, the post launch stuff with The Witcher and I think that's that's something that I hope that we can sort of replicate on a on a sort of much smaller sort of indie le- indie sort of level where you know we can provide like content updates for for our games and you know it, it just little little bits just to keep people happy keep people coming back keep people playing uh i especially uh sort of admire admire them for that uh and then finally i guess uh the the other one is is i really like what i really like vlambia games as well yep. admittedly i've not played nuclear throne yet but i you know <laughs> i think what what, what those it, whenever, whenever I've got five minutes to waste, that's So yeah, I guess I guess they're the sort of three big developers that immediately sort of spring to mind for me. And Luke, what do you hear? Anyone you particularly go? Oh yeah, they do some fair doing things. Well, it's kind of a difficult question in that I, I sort of I I'm to, okay. So to some degree, I don't. I've mixed sort of uh, mixed opinions on the whole sort of auteur theory kind of thing. So I, I sometimes, as much as as much as there are people I'm interested in, and, and as soon as you know, person X sort of says they're working on a game, I'm interested. Mm. Uh, I, I am also very aware that it's not just that person, and and for better or worse, you know, their their kind of their output can be can be uh, heavily heavily dependent on on. Uh, the whole kind of creative process and, and other people involved. Um, the shoulders be- of giants. Yeah, and and you kind of you, you that so that there are lots of people who so for instance, um, 
someone who I think is is very important, uh, certainly in, in kind of the games that I've played that, that, that are important to me, uh, is Warren Spector. Uh, and he's... Uh, I don't know, he, he's not doing kind of the same sort of stuff anymore. No. So so I I can't really say that I'm sort of actively looking at him right now, but his his the, the things that he's worked on in the past have been incredible. They have. You know, he he, he uh, there's no other way to say it. I mean, when when you look at things like um things like like Deus Ex and Thief and 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 and, and stuff like that. I mean, uh, you know, a hundred others. What you know? What else can you say? <laughs> they, they are they are incredibly important right. um, in in all senses. Uh, wh- whether I'm sort of necessarily looking at him, you know, right like what he's doing right now, and 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 in the same way, ultimately no, unfortunately. And I I I, I feel bad saying that. I don't want to say that he's that he's <laughs> not not good at his job anymore. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it's it's a different you know it's a different time in the industry. Um, I think he's struggling of, a bit to, to, to fit in to where it's gone. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in, in terms of in terms of people who are currently really on their game, um, I'm I'm, I'm going to say this wrong because I've I've never heard it said out loud. Hidetaka Miyazaki, um, who the the, the director, uh, well the the uh, the head of From Software, in fact. Oh, yes. um, but uh, the you know sort of. Uh, Director of, of Dark Souls and such, um, which I think, and I, I I don't know if you know, um, Rock Paper Shotgun do a, or actually they haven't done one in, in a couple of months, um, a, a video series called Fail Forward, um, which is where uh, one of their guys, Marsh Davies, um, sort of analyzes good games and the interesting ways, the interesting bits about them that aren't good. If that makes sense, okay. um, and I, that's that's kind of uh, by the by to some degree. But he sort of he he makes a really good point about Dark Souls that um, what something that Dark Souls Two lacks that Dark Souls has, and obviously Dark Souls Two was not developed uh, by Miyazaki um, since he was working on Bloodborne at the time. Um, something that that lacks is the the absolute cohesion. Of every element that Dark Souls has, because Dark Souls, it you know, obviously it, it has a narrative that, that that falls together. But actually, everything in the game, every 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 design decision, backs up that narrative. Every sort of mechanic that's in there speaks to this world that's falling apart, and you don't see that in Dark Souls Two to the same degree. It's it's still great, but it's, it doesn't have that. Completely singular vision yep. that Dark Souls has, and and I, I I have no idea what it would be like to work under somebody with that kind of precise view of how everything should be, and it might be nightmarish. But the man knows what he's doing, um, and you know it, that dark souls is just i i don't want to go on about it for too long but but you know it, it is it is one of those games where everything comes together yeah. um if you love it or hate it and i love I'm, it i'm terrible at it so. <laughs> i'm absolutely terrible it's all about the, the fighting and the timing and knowing that you are not invincible 
Exactly. Yeah. It's not Diablo. <laughs> which, which, which is exactly the thing because it's it's it it's it's one of those rare games where it's not a power fantasy. Um, that and, and again, every everything that you do, every all the limitations are all expressions of how this world is falling apart. Um, and it just and and the the whole idea of of it being that all the kind of all the great stories in this world have already been told. You know, you're just you're just delaying the inevitable. That which is again, it can't be a power fantasy no. because you're not saving the world. And if you are saving the world, you're saving it for a month. <laughs> you're, you're, you're saving it from from something that's going to come back yeah. next year, yeah. um, and and that kind of the the, the fact that, that they've managed to do that and still have a game that's so compelling um, and doesn't make you just feel like, well, what's the point? <laughs> um, because and and half of it is is also because because of the way it's woven into that, you only you only understand that about the world later on. Yes, because it's never said to you. No, in, in all the mecha- again, all the mechanics, it all communicates to you this sense of decay, and and that kind of the yeah, that that cohesion is just astounding. Um, so I will, you know, that, that's more of a current thing in in the in the Miyazaki is 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 definitely sort of at the top of his game, and that that anything he does is is worth watching. As a as a final sort of uh, smaller note. Um, I, I find, and I'm, I'm going to admit this, I've, I've not actually played Braid, but I find John Blow really interesting. Yes. Um, I, I struggle to kind of get a handle on him as a person, uh, but every time he does something or says something, he kind of surprises me. Um, and, and kind of, it feels like there's a lot of layers to him. And he's got a lot to say, and he's got a lot to he's got a lot to to give to the industry. Uh, and again, you know, I, I realise that that some people can't stand him, and and I don't know what he's like sort of personally. Um, but he he is someone I will again I I will always listen to what he has to say, and I'm always interested when when something involving him comes up. Put it that way. My last question then um, this half. And again, second half when we talk about sublevel zero in detail is um, it's my favourite question, and it is the least difficult. So we have a drop down after the major boss fight. Is um, is your respite now? What are you playing right now, other than sublevel zero, of course? So well, I I'm currently uh, revisiting Bioshock Infinite. Right. Uh, I, d- I don't know. I just had like a really, I just really wanted to play it again. Uh, just because I, I sort of didn't when it, when it when it come out, I was like, "Oh my god, this is the best game ever! It's the best game ever!" Uh, and then you know, some people raised some pretty sort of valid uh, sort of criticisms of, uh, of the game, and it was like, "Oh, you just sort of going from like one sort of shooting gallery to another." And it, it you know, I didn't sort of realize that when I first played through it. I, you know, I was very much in this mindset. Yeah, yeah. I guess I wanted to experience it again, and I've recently got a new, a new graphics card, so I was like, right, you know what? I'm going to reinstall that big, massive 40 gig install file for <laughs> uh, Bioshock, and I'm going to go through it again. I just want to experience it again, just because, like, the combat, you know, it, it's 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 good, uh, but it's not. I don't think it rivals the the sort of the 
the sense of sort of Bioshock 1. And I don't, for some reason, like, people hate Bioshock 2, but I, I really like Bioshock 2 for some reason, where everyone else, uh, on, on the whole, people I speak to are like, oh, Bioshock 2, why, you know, it's terrible. And I'm like, oh, no, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. It was like, you know, a bit of a spin on, you know, playing a big daddy and stuff, and like having like, different set of weaponry that, again, just, just, the way that, that whole game comes together, like, some, like Bioshock, was one of those experiences, something that I'd never really uh, had before in, in a game. The whole twist of, of the original Bioshock as well is, is something that sort of brought me back to uh, when I played Silent Hill 2 for the first time. And then, you know, that again, that sort of emotional thing that, that sort of triggers something inside you when something happens and you sort of get so immersed in a game that when something happens to a character or something happens to the environment you're in, you're in and, 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 something is revealed or it, it, I just sort of love that in uh, about games so yeah but Bioshock Infinite I'm just sort of replaying that at the moment and I also had a little bit of a blast on the Star Wars Battlefront beta but I got tired of it pretty quick admittedly <laughs> it's Battlefront it's like it was back then it's back again and it's like yeah. it's a reskin yeah like, yeah, yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to say it, but for me, like, it felt very much like Battlefield, um, yeah. and that's not necessarily not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I'm, I still play Battlefield Four quite regularly, um, but yeah, I mean, the, it looks beautiful, and you know, as as an artist, yeah, like you know, I'm all. I, you'll find me on games. Staring at a wall, and people are going, "Gary, what are you doing?" <laughs> we're we're in the middle of like a six foot fight. Look yeah, I'm like this, this it's, it's so it's so sparkles. Look at this asset. Yeah, it's like, oh god, it's gorgeous. I remember like being on Battlefield once, and there's a little bit of there's like a big uh, warehouse thing, and then there's a little bit of sort of Z fighting on this roof. So like polygons sort of flickering through each other because they're sort of you know in the same space. Uh, so you get this like flickering effect, and I'm stood there, and I'm like, "What the hell's going on? Like, this is how's this in a game?" And then all of a sudden, bang! Sniper takes me out, and I'm like, "Oh god, yeah, <laughs> I'm not in game developer mode. I'm supposed to be actually playing this thing." <laughs> so, so yeah, Bioshock, and I had a brief blast on Battlefront, and that's that's pretty much what I'm doing at the moment. What about actually? Well, I, I was just gonna just gonna say about what Gary was saying. I actually take heart from from some of that stuff because you do see sort of little graphical glitches and things in in, <laughs> in sort of you know really expensive games. I yeah, mean, like bad UV maps wise. as well. Like bad yeah. UVs get me every time because at and university it, it's like you need to unwrap this model. You need to make sure this texture's perfect. And then you go in Skyrim, there's like a stone wall and like the seams don't match up, so it just like a piece of rock is split down the centre from where the, the UV don't, don't, doesn't line up and you're like well I, I get told off at you know, uh, uh, in my classes for doing that stuff this is in like a triple A game what the hell's going on it's in the amount yeah. of content they made for that <laughs> yeah Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's forgivable but, but you know but that's, I mean, that, that's the thing right isn't it because it, it's quite nice that that, that to a certain degree, um, you know, which is not an excuse for sloppiness, obviously, but to a certain degree, just little things like that don't tend to matter too much, and that you, you know, you don't have to obsess over every tiny thing, uh, because obviously doing so would would be incredibly expensive in in time, effort, and money. Mm. Um, so it's it's nice to know that there are kind of things don't have to be absolutely perfect, which is which is good because I'm I'm kind of a perfectionist 
Um, and and when you when you make real projects, you have to let go of that, and it's quite painful. Yeah, uh, knowing when something's good enough is very yeah. Um, but in terms of it, anyway, you know, stuff like UV seams and that, you know, people don't notice it. No, exactly. Yeah, and, and actually, it's quite a quite a big thing in 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 films is that you can get away with a hell of a lot in films that people will never notice. And people have done tests; they've, they've sort of shot sort of little test films where they've got sort of a dialogue sequence between two people, and it'll sort of cut between cut from one person to the next to the next, and then like have a shot of the both of them and stuff like that. And they've done things where they they would sort of. Uh, you know, in one shot, someone's wearing a scarf, and in the next shot, they're wearing a completely different scarf. Yes. <laughs> and, and no one notices. Unless you're no one notices. Like you know, continuity nerd, and then you go exactly, oh. exactly. Um, and it's 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 kind of it's it's interesting, sort of getting a getting a, a sort of a working knowledge of of what the human brain just doesn't care about, you know. Uh, and that's that's always kind of kind of useful information on, on where to sort of focus your efforts. Um, in terms of what I'm playing at the moment, as I, as I said earlier, I, I, if I've got a few minutes free, I usually um, end up spending it in, in Nuclear Throne. I've not finished it yet. Um, I've, I've got to the, to the, to the end of it, um, but I've never, I've never got past that. Um, other things, I, I tend to sort of do this thing where I will have, I will sort of bounce between um, Newer games and really old games. Uh, so uh, at the moment, I'm an, another one that I'm playing, uh, which I actually just uh, saw because because I was sort of watching a watching a let's play of, of Sublevel Zero, uh, and then the guy went on and, and played this other one, a, 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 a roguelike um, side-scrolling shooter. Uh, and again, I don't know how to say this. Steredin, Steredin. Oh, this is awesome! I'm, this game. Yeah, so it's, that, it's. I met the developers. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's really nice. I, it is it is so hard. It is it is far harder than, than sub level zero. Which you know, of Project <laughs> X from the Amiga days. Um, it's 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 crazy hard. It, it is and and it's it's one of those that, that is you you have to absolutely learn it. You know, it's it, because the the sort of the um the 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 sort of main stages aren't. Too difficult. I mean, you you know, if you if you mess up, you will die. But what's really hard is the bosses, um, and the bosses have their patterns, and you have to learn them. And if you mess up, you will die. Uh, so I, I think I've got to the fifth boss or something. And I think there's sort of seven or eight. I can't remember exactly. Um, but it's really hard. But it, it, it and it's frustrating. But it's but it's always that one more go. Oh, kind yeah. of frustrating, which is it's which never is, your fault. Oh, sorry, it's, it is always sorry. It is always yes, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's never my fault. fault. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's never it's the not. game's fault. It's that that um, fine balance because you can. I have played games where it's like, oh, you're just not fair. Yep, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean, I, I I do have my <laughs> do have my criticisms of it. I think the um, I think the you know the thing where certain weapons will do more or less damage to certain yeah. enemies. It feels a little forced. I don't it, it doesn't feel like it's solving a game design problem and it kind of ends up just getting in the way sometimes where you've got you've got a nice weapon that you've sort of been using for a while and then it will not kill that boss. Mm. Um, which is annoying. Yeah. Uh, but that's I mean that's that's pretty much it. Apart from that, really, really nice game. Um, but but I'm also like I say, I also sort of tend to dredge up uh, not necessarily old, but nostalgic. Mm. 
games and games that, that sort of uh, I, I'm, I'm often sort of on the lookout for that there'll be something in my head and I can't quite remember what it is and, and I'll be searching for it and then I'll find out what it is so so the the current one is a, a an old racing game called Power Slide um, which was made by a, an Australian studio called Ratbag and this is back in I think 2000 or something right. um, and it's it's really it's it's quite strange it's really slidey like there, there's almost no friction, and it kind of on on the on the easier difficulties it's really easy, and then on the harder difficulties it's basically impossible because despite it being so slidey, there is uh, an optimal line around each course, and oh. the AIs know what it is, and you don't, okay. and you can't stick to it, and any mistake you make, which you will make because you're sliding all over the place, um, you lose a place. Mine's uh, a twisted version of Ridge Racer. Yeah, but it's it's. I mean, it's 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 fun, but it's and it, again, it's one of these ones that I sort of played a lot when I was. I think it, I, I probably only had had the demo on a cover disc or something, but one one of these ones that I played when I was when I was a kid and kind of made an impression on me for for whatever reason. And actually, the fun uh, in Power Slide more than more than anything else is finding the cheats, um, because basically it's in these kind of semi-open world maps, uh, and if you explore, you you find. They've just put words here and there, and if you type those words in, that activates a cheat. So there's one way you you essentially start your 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 car uh, acts as a glider. It doesn't sprout wings or anything, but suddenly you've got this sort of limited flight sim kind of thing, which is great fun because you you've got all these sort of tall cliffs that you can that you can dive off, and so you, you spend you spend half an hour working out how to drive up this this mountain to get to the top of it, and then turn on glider mode, launch yourself off the edge, and you know you've you've hit the ground two minutes later, but you're like yeah that was amazing. <laughs> it was it was, it was kind of the and I I certainly remember that very much as as a kid that the the main attraction of this game was finding those cheats and spending the time. Not playing the game, right? If that makes sense, and it was it was really nice that it sort of allowed you the freedom to do that. Sounds like the start of your game creating career. Like, yeah, yeah. Other people's work. Excellent. Exactly. Well, that's the first half over with. Ray. We now move on to the second half, where we do actually go into deep detail about no pun intended sub levels. Question is called the zero question. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're laughing. Um, it's because it's not really a question, it's actually a request for you to give me the pitch of sub level zero because what on earth is it? I know what it is. I've been playing for ages. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I want you to tell me. What is it? I, yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've had to sort of hone this um, 
try and fist on a business card kind of 25 <laughs> bucks. Yeah, sort of elevator. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, in, in, in a few words, it's uh, a roguelike six degree of freedom shooter. Uh, so it's essentially descent, but with procedurally generated levels, permadeath, uh, and based around looting and crafting. So the, the levels are randomly generated. And also the loot that you get is, uh, if not randomly generated, randomized. So you, you get, for instance, you'll, it'll, the game will drop, uh, a laser weapon. But the, the stats on that laser weapon will be randomized. So it'll be maybe higher fire rate, uh, but lower accuracy or something like that. Um, so they're generated differently each time, although the basic characteristics of the weapon stay the same. So you have the, the basic behavior of that weapon, but uh, you've got variants on it. So if you are playing a particular run with a particular style, if you're sort of doing close combat, then, then you're going to want to sort of try and find loot that has a lower accuracy but a higher fire rate, that kind of thing. And then when you craft these weapons together to create other weapons, those stats are inherited in the crafted weapons. And it's not just weapons, you can also craft uh, hulls and engines. Uh, but we have sort of primary weapons, secondary weapons, so the primaries are, are sort of guns and secondaries are missiles and things. Uh, and there is a sort of a, a, a campaign structure, so there are, there are six levels uh, but and, and they, they sort of have their parameters preset, but each time it is randomly generated. Brilliant. I couldn't have said it better myself. Although you kind of preempted one of the questions. Which I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Every developer I have on them has prescience. It's almost as if they're leaning over my shoulder looking at the questions. It's horrible. Anyway, this <laughs> first one is actually directed to Gary, although Luke can tip in as well, because I think it has an impact on him and, and, and the how it managed to how you managed to actually implement it. What immediately struck strikes me about Bubble Zero when I'm playing it is how clean and bright the visuals are in it. It's very smooth. It's a very, very pleasant experience. Can you explain how this style evolved? Was it always that way, or did it slowly grow into these now? Well, so, so the game actually has gone through quite a few sort of visual iterations. So, I mean, all the way back to the, the Game Jam version, uh, the, you know, the textures, it was pretty much... The, the, there are no textures bigger than sort of 64 by 64 pixels. Uh, in the game, like everything is like super low res, um, and, and we, we we sort of started off. Um, I'm just trying to think now. Like the 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 jam version was, it was literally just low res textures with there was no sort of normal maps or sort of specular values on the materials. It was it was just yeah, it was just the sort of diffuse map, sort of flat color. Uh, and then as we sort of started to develop the game, I sort of experimented with things like baking in lighting information into the textures themselves. Um, we sort of wanted this low resolution textures with like the sort of low resolution, uh, sort of blocky uh, environment stuff. So you got like low poly look. Uh, so it's, it's sort of like an old with new type aesthetics, so you've got the sort of old, like, low-res, low-polygon environments, but then you've also got the, the, the new stuff, so you've got the post-processing filters over the top of it, you've got the emissive, the bloom stuff, that sort of dirty camera lens thing uh, that that's 
quite nice. I find it quite nice in, in certain games. We, we've sort of toned that down ourselves, but uh, it's, it's a combination of new and old things. Um, and I think we've, we've heavily iterated on it. So I, I released a screenshot not too long ago, and it was basically comparing, like, okay, this is what the jam version looked like, and then this is what we showed off at Res, and sort of this is the sort of final uh, sort of visual style for the game. And I think it was. It was someone. Was it Total Biscuit, Luke? That said Polyglow was like yeah, so the aesthetic thing, and I thought I, I really liked. Yeah, I can't that remember name. exactly where that came from. <laughs> it was certainly. It was certainly Total Biscuit said, "Is there a name for this aesthetic? It's really nice, but I don't know what to call it." Uh, and I think somebody else suggested Polyglow. Yeah, as a, it was a, as a, yeah, as a was phrase, a, and, and he sort of and he sort of ran ran with that, which which is it's pretty good. Pretty good. I think we're cool with that. Accurate, right? It's quite accurate. <laughs> so. Fluid. I can't. It's the only way to describe it. It's not. It's not syrup at all. It's really, really reactive. Because this game has to be, otherwise it falls over on itself. Mm. Descent was very much like that. The first one not so, but the second one definitely. And the third one will just built on. Anyway. <laughs> and it we just, tried to, like. We we tried to use a lot of color as well. Um, so you know we use lighting effects to try and navigate help the player to sort of navigate the environment and stuff so generally around exits there's sort of brighter brighter colors to sort of signify that there's something there uh, in terms of exits enemies are sort of color coded as well and i think that, that that's all sort of developed as as we've sort of iterated uh the visuals have developed uh not f- just from me but from input on, from the whole team uh, yeah, it's it's it's, know, it's very much a like a design kind of the the game design and the visual design have very much evolved with each other, which is really yeah. nice. They kind of support each other. Yeah, cool. I got. And I like that. <laughs> I got out of the game, but I just I wanted to, to for you to actually address it and explain it. Okay, the second question, well, third question, really, because well, okay, second. One. Um, <laughs> some of the zeros, um, spirits of predecessor we will describe is, is Descent we all know that so those games are very famous uh, for inducing some nausea shall we say mm-hmm. what advancements in current video game design have you done to reduce the sense of disorientation that Descent games were famous for what have you done in Suburbable Zero to say look I know you may remember Descent if you're that old <clears throat> and that that game was quite disorientating, but this isn't so. And I don't find Sub-Level Zero at all disorientating for the most part. There's some little, you know, for maybe a fraction of a second, I feel a bit dizzy. Um, but then, you know, I know where I am. So, oh, I need to go down here now. I need to go down here. What have you done? What are the things you've done to to alleviate that problem? Well, there's <laughs> there's, there's kind of a glib answer to this, and a and a and a more serious answer. The glib answer being that. Gamers are better now. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's which is which is not you know an unserious answer actually because you know when when Descent came out, people were still playing Doom with keyboards, you know, yes. um, and and suddenly throwing in that third dimension, but because as you say, it was it was essentially the first truly 3D game, yeah, and people had never had that before. So so you got the first truly 3D game and the first truly 3D movement mechanic, which you know, is is a huge amount of new information for people to process. So immediately, kind of that that sort of 
would would make a lot of people motion sick and disorientated. Whereas now people have a lot more um, people have a lot more tolerance in general for first person shooters because you know at, at that time even first person shooters people would say, "Oh, this makes me feel sick," and that's just not a complaint anymore. You know, if if people do still feel that, <laughs> they keep quiet because it's embarrassing. Yeah. You know, it's because it's kind of expected that you know how to handle a, a, an FPS. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in all honesty, the the landscape has changed and people are more um, able to cope with that now because because of the the advancements that there have been in in games across the board. So um, the, changed, but I think I think that's a, I think that's a big part of it. I do. Um, that said, we're you know we we have also done a lot of work, kind of looking at Descent uh, and and Forsaken, and, and you know again the sort of smattering of others to work out what kind of sources of disorientation there are. And as much as Descent, sort of the map view in Descent is great and absolutely necessary, uh, there were a lot of improvements to be made, which I I, I don't want to sound sort of arrogant saying that, but I mean, you know, given the the computing power that we now have, that you have a lot more options on how to do a fully 3D kind of auto map, yeah. uh, which is which is very rarely actually being done. Uh, and I, I think we've I think we've done something quite new there. Uh, you know, new in the sense of uh, re revitalizing something existing, but something that hasn't been done in the meantime very much. So our, our map view is Again, something we iterated on quite heavily and sort of tried it out with people and, and sort of said, does this work? Does this work? How do you feel about this? Uh, are you getting lost? Um, so it sort of, for us, the main difficulty with uh, the original Descent map is the fact that it's wireframe because you have no depth information there. And it kind of does, it, it gives you a little bit of depth information in, in the shading, yeah. On those on those wires. So if if you're looking at sort of the back faces, as it were, or the back edges um, of a room, they're 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 sort of grayed out slightly. But it's still it, it, in the in the first few levels, you're fine. Then in the later levels, it can become incredibly difficult to pass. Um, and because you've just got lines everywhere, lines on top of lines on top of lines, and you move it a bit, and it just sort of shifts in this way that gives you no perspective information. It's kind of one of those things where you, um, you're you looking at something and you think it's one way out and then it rotates slightly and suddenly it pops pops into your sort of vision that actually you've been seeing it inside out the entire time. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, that, that's a lot. Is it a cube? Or is it a uh, ne- ne- Necker cube, the, yeah. is, I think, is, is, is sort of the classic illusion. Um, but I, I <laughs> there's been many a time where I've been, I don't deal very, for, for whatever reason, um, I, I, I don't always deal very well with isometric projection in 3D modeling software, so often I'll oh be sort gosh, of looking yeah. at, <laughs> I'll be looking over Gary's shoulder and, <laughs> and, 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 and just sort of kind of have a sudden fit of dizziness because he's rotated something and I thought it was the, the entire opposite way to what it was. Um, and it's, I'm always like, Gary, can you please put it in perspective? I can't handle this. Um, so that's a sort of, like I say, that, that that's kind of a, a, a big uh, ever-present issue with, with the Descent map that, that we feel like we've done quite a good job with, actually. Um, and, and certainly... It's 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 really nice to see, particularly on Let's Plays. Um, a, a very common thing is that when they come to the bit of the tutorial where it says bring up the map or whatever, 
and they they pull it off and they're like wow this is amazing um and and like people really respond to it really well i mean it, you know we've done we've done a lot of work on how it just how it looks in terms of it being cool but there's also little touches in there that um the 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 shader on there all it is is a fresnel term so basically it ends up um naturally highlighting the outlines of a room because those are the walls that aren't uh, you know that they're, they're sort of perpendicular to your view right yeah. so so they get they get lit uh and then we've added a bit of edge detect to it um to sort of bring that out a bit more and it, you, you end up with this really nice it gives you a lot of spatial information that you wouldn't otherwise have and again, this is something we've iterated on and sort of tweaked it and, and it and it works really nicely. But we've also got things now where it sort of highlights uh the exits to a room. Yeah. So that if you if you are getting lost, you can sort of snap into the map, have a very quick glance and snap back out again, and you've already got the information you need. And people sort of get better at that. Um the the, the you know, for the first few minutes they're sort of spending ages in the map because they haven't really got the spatial awareness of like within the game. But then as they've played a bit more, they get more of a feel for that they understand the relations they've done and how the runes have been put together, that when they go into the map, it's not this foreign thing. It actually does line up to their mental map of where they've been through the level. So they need very little time to sort of go into it, get the information they need, come out, and they're fine again. So all these all these things do kind of come together, and, and, and certainly we've... Again, it's something we've worked quite hard on, but but... I think we have been quite successful in removing a lot of that disorientation beyond the fact that, like I say, people are more comfortable with a fully 3D environment now than, than they were 20 years ago. And the map thing, I, I must, must maybe I'll just be Mr. JD Journalist, but I went, oh, that's nice. Oh, there's the exit. And then I picked it off. I mean, sadly, if I was in the quick play, like, well, the let's play, it would have been, is that what you said? Like, well, that's nice. <laughs> but no, I just like, oh, that's good. That's a nice function. I can see where the exits are. Because that's the frustrating thing I found about these, 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 um, dungeon, not dungeon, but these, these 3D Dell games, as I call them, is that, what am I supposed to go now? And it, no, mm. yeah, oh, it, was, it was definitely something we had to look into. Um, I think at, at first, like, just as sort of a little side note, um, coming down to designing spaces for the player to sort of fly around and shoot stuff like that was quite a learning curve for 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 me uh and it sort of took a while uh to 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 really get an idea of of what felt good yeah um so i mean there, there are a few sort of level chunks that we've removed from the game just because they are so disorientating you know there's there's no real sort of shape or way of, of, of navigating it effectively like there were some of the sort of lava cave chunks that we've sort of pulled out just because you know th- they didn't feel good um, so yeah and, yeah, and even with the map the, the, there were some chunks yeah, where you yeah. just you, you would go into <laughs> you would go into the map you'd see the exit be like okay I know where I need to go come out of the map uh, I've forgotten where to go. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, like, what because, the, wait, what? <laughs> because it's just so, you know, the sort of on a on a local level, the the geometry would be so complex that you just couldn't 
quite line it up and you just have to wander around a bit and get a feel for it that way sort of move 10 meters forward bring up the map again move 10 meters to the left bring up the map again to kind of map it out in your head look at the third column on your right and then you're like right i need to go past (laughs) that column and then look up and there we go there's the exit so yeah we we removed uh, a few sort of level um chunks based off off that alone um and I i think as well i think the flight system being quite smooth uh you know that sort of lends to sort of reducing that nausea i i, I think um and yeah, I then think you, if it was instant you could, as well if it was if yeah. it was more of an fps kind of mouse mouse look kind of control then i think you would more easily kind of uh just get turned around and not have any concept of how many degrees you'd just turned mm-hmm. um so so the fact that the, the the ship kind of naturally the weight of it naturally limits that does 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 help a bit yeah and then the cockpit, like having a, a fully realized, you know, 3D cockpit around you, especially in VR as well, it's it's nice to have. And, you know, it, it's sort of one of those almost like proven things where being having it in a sit-down experience, being having something static that sort of isn't moving around you and you've got something to basically ground yourself in. You know, you are inside a, a, a ship and everything outside the ship is what's sort of moving around you rather than, you having nothing, uh, and 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 then being sort of left to n- navigate a, a fully three D environment. I think having having the ship and having the cockpit as well is is another way of negating that that sort of nausea for in in most players. I think we still there's still a few who are like oh oh god this game makes me motion sick. I know every time my wife sees the game in motion she's like oh god I'm gonna be sick. But she <laughs> she's quite extreme. Uh, Maybe travel she sickness. not talk about. The person playing no, no. <laughs> um, it, it, I don't know how you do this, Gary. But again, you just preempted a question. How are you doing that? You preempted the question. <laughs> slid straight into it. Like, come on, give me it's a all fun. It's 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 more of the, it's Sorry. more more segues. That's that's what it is. It's, yeah, it's just segues. Yeah. <laughs> this is not questions. It's a series of segues. So I was going to ask you. The game Sublime Zero does support VR. Um, I don't do VR shows. I think I told Gary this because of fear of pink eye. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. I remember you saying <laughs> yeah, that. very, that, very that valid. Then, when I was going to shows after that, I was like, "Oh my god, I don't want to try this VR game. I don't even want to touch our DK2 that we've got now. Like, I don't want to touch that anymore." Yeah, we've we've um, we've sort of, we've separated it in, into our you know we've got our we've got our event DK2s and we've got our development DK2s and never twain shall meet. Um, but yeah, it's a valid fear. I mean, I, I it is, that. and to be honest, there's the, the the other side of it is just that they they get battered, they get absolutely yeah. hammered. I don't know I don't know what it is, but the, the the ones that have gone to events have just got scratches all over the lenses. Uh, it's, it's like are people are people going in there with their fingernails and and just raking the lenses it's, it's crazy they, they just they just they just get damaged I mean, uh, bless you Gary you didn't take offence at what I was saying you didn't oh come on like, get over yourself like oh seriously I don't want to get infected eyes you know <laughs> so, no, ever, ever since you said that I, that's been in the back of my mind when I've been at events and I'm like our own one I'm like oh god like you know <laughs> and your head be it. Yeah, yeah. So not rather you than me. In your <laughs> eyes, yeah. Um, so what uh, aspects of VR... Well, how, how? I mean, you've made the game for... Not for VR, but as well as. Um, what? Uh, how has that impacted the game design? You obviously made mention of it. I think you've said yeah. that you've got static elements in the screen that so allows you the, the eye to focus on. Like the, There's the dashboard and the guns and the 
head-up display. Is that basically what you've done? Yeah, so uh, what what we will at the start um the I think we've we've built the game with the iPad from the beginning. Right. Okay. Uh so definitely having that sit down experience of being in, being enclosed inside a cockpit is is a, a great way of of fighting off motion sickness, but it's also pretty cool to be inside a, a spaceship, you know what I mean? You can down, you can see the, the wings of the ship with the weapons mounted to it, and you can, you know, turn around full 360 degrees round and see the, the entire ship around you, and uh, that's a really uh, nice, sort of immersive way of, of, of getting people sort of inside, inside the rift. Uh, when it comes down to actually fighting and, 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 Navigating the environments, like I said already, we've we've used a combination of of colour, uh, and I'm really making the the enemy designs quite chunky. Um, we don't really want to give a sense of like real world scale, so you won't see many things in the environments that uh, give you a reference point of to how big you are. Uh, just because when people have that reference. And they're like, oh, okay, that's that's uh, you know, I recognise that from real life, and this has got a certain set of uh, measurements to it in real life. Like this thing is this big. Oh God, I, I'm I'm either too big or I'm too small, and it sort of breaks that that like immersive immersive quality. Uh, I think in 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 some in some games. Um, I, I think it's I, I think it's one of those sort of uncanny valley things, you know. The, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. In in certain ways, you need to kind of not draw attention to certain limitations of uh, of the technology, of the hardware, of the software. Um, that you 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 kind of want to focus attention um, strategically, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, because because there's there's kind of there's there is that danger of um, there being too much immersion, if that makes sense, because at that point the sort of the standard goes up, and everything has to be everything again. Everything has to be perfect, and, and little things can break it off. We'd rather have the player sort of acclimatize themselves to this sort of different reality, which is kind of nice with the the low poly stuff because you know you, you've you've got these you've got these walls with kind of pixely textures on and and and, and not many polys, and and it's kind of this. You know this unrealistic thing, but your brain says, "Yep, that's cool. I'm done <laughs> with that." It's, and, it, and, it's, and it's weird because because you, you you kind of see these things that are clearly not real. Yeah. But again, as long as you don't hit that kind of uncanny valley point, your brain is is more than happy to say that looks solid. Um, that looks like I could reach out and touch it. Um, I can sort of imagine how it would feel to touch, you know, things like that. And, and your brain kind of is quite happy to fill in these gaps as long as you leave it enough, uh, enough sort of latitude to do so. Um, and then, yeah, so so I, I, again, obviously, the, the cockpit is is kind of a major, a major affordance for for putting you in the same position in the game as you would be in in real life. But but also things like um, you know the UI. Being very sort of world space kind of, you got these little holographic things here and there mm. that they actually have a position in the world, and that's that's that that helps a lot, obviously with with VR because you can't just draw on the screen plane because then you wouldn't be able to focus on it. Yeah, um, and, and things like that. And actually, I would I would say if if anything, the f- what we've found so far is that 
VR, the, the way that VR development restricts you most heavily is in UI. Um, because it really kind of constrains what you can and can't do with where things are and how big they can be and, and, and you know, just, just little things like certainly with the current hardware, um, given the, the, the size of the pixels, um, you know, text has to be a certain size. Yeah. Or you can't read it anymore. And, and just, just sort of basic things like that. Um, but there's also, you know, the, there's, there's other nice aspects of it, of, of, like Gary was saying, with sort of the low poly, the chunky enemies. Um, because you, so something we found actually is that, um, so in, in sort of traditional game design, particularly in the last few years, um, on, on the graphics side of things, people very heavily, um, sort of talk about this idea of silhouettes, you know, that, that things should have, things should have recognizable silhouettes, that their overall gross shape stands out and says, I am an X. Yes. Um, which is obviously a very sort of important part of game design, but we found that the, that kind of needs some modification in VR. Yeah. In that it's, it, and it, it sort of sounds obvious to say it, but it's, but it's not obvious at the time. 2D silhouettes aren't important anymore. Volumetric silhouettes, as it were, are. And your sort of perception of the volume of this thing, rather than just its outline, because actually its outline stops being you don't perceive it the same way. So the for instance the the, the, the cockpit um, the way the cockpit looks currently in sort of the two D version, it actually looks really very different in VR because you're not perceiving the outline of all these sort of the the, 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 the HUD console sort of receding from you, um, away from your point of view, which sort of forms this trapezium kind of shape on the screen. In 2D, you perceive that as this trapezium shape, um, whereas in 3D, you don't. In 3D, you actually, it looks very different because you, you realize that it's this parallel thing that's just going away from you, which you don't get in 2D in the same sense. So that outline, that shape, it stops being the same shape. It's kind of hard to, to, to describe in words, um, but the outlines stop being the outlines that they were in 2D. Okay. Because those things are no longer on the same plane. So right. you kind of end up having to design something that kind of has a, a nice silhouette in 2D, but also has a nice volumetric silhouette, as it were, which is where the kind of the low-poly enemies really help. Because they're chunky, you know, they're solid, they're, they're, these, they're these balls of matter that you could reach out and touch and kind of they've got a weight to them uh, and and that works really well in 2D because they've got you know for instance the, the basic drone has a roughly sort of circular shape and that stands out nicely uh, but in, in 3D you perceive it as a sphere and it's got this spherical shape that you could reach out and touch and that's kind of the, the 3D silhouette of it uh, which becomes more complex when I, I think at least you know we've obviously not done too much along these lines but becomes more complex when you have uh, more complicated shapes when you have things like, well, like like people and people with sort of utility belts and uh, a, a magazine hanging off their 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 hip and and I don't know a hat, <laughs> whatever you know. When when you get these sort of little details, they can sort of add noise to it and remove from the recognizability of it. Okay. Well, that very comprehensive answer to that question and even if it was a really a lot of question 
So that's a segue, as we established. <laughs> um, but this one isn't. This is a new question because you didn't actually feed into it because you didn't predict it. Yay! <laughs> I win! Uh, and it is the <laughs> last it is the last question um, but you have hinted it earlier so Sublevel Zero has been a roguelike and now aspects of trial and error advancing uh, with advancement following death can you talk us through how that works and the crafting system specifically in Sub-Zero because you hinted at it but I think it's a it's an amazing thing that you've, you've added on to this game so yeah so so there's there's kind of there's Certainly the way I see it, there's kind of two aspects to progression, sort of metagame progression, as it were, with sub-level zero. One is sort of the obvious aspect of unlocking things. So you start with, um, you know, certain things that will drop in the world and certain crafting recipes, uh, blueprints, as we call them, um, that you can then combine them to create certain things. Now, in the interests of, 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 so there's two aspects to this. Um, in the interests of sort of simplicity for the player in terms of learning curve and also in terms of giving them a reward, uh, for later on when they sort of, you know, either they complete a run or they die, um, the further blueprints become unlocked as you go. Uh, so we don't want to overload the player with all the systems all at once. And with a roguelike, this is kind of a difficult thing because you don't have that planned sort of extended single player campaign where you you know you know that they've played level 1 once and that they've played level 2 once because they've hit those checkpoints so you you can't really sort of tutorialize the first level with certain elements and the second level with certain other elements because you can't guarantee that the player has hit all of these things mm. so our tutorial for instance is is this kind of re- relatively simple thing that it, it just gets stuck on to the beginning of the first level unless you don't want it. Um, so it'll take you through sort of really the mechanical basics of the game. We don't want to, we, we don't feel the need to sort of lead the player through tactics and how to actually sort of play the game on a strategic level, but just the basics of this is how you move, this is how you shoot, this is how you change weapon, that sort of thing. Um, so we kind of give them that intro, but then beyond that, the rest of the game becomes its own learning curve. So, and this ties into the, the sort of the, the second thing that I was that I was alluding to in terms of c- progression of a metagame in a roguelike, which is that actually the main sense of progression in a roguelike, whether you've got an unlock system or not, in reality the main sense of progression is you getting better at the game. Um, and I was talking about Steredin or Steredin again. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> I, I was, which has a very similar thing uh, in that um, their their sense of progression is. Oh, that's how you beat this guy. You know, yeah. you, you've, you've worked out the pattern. Uh, or, or maybe not even the pattern, maybe how to beat it. There's, there's one, there's one, uh, boss in, in, in that game where, well, I'm just gonna call it that game now. Uh, <laughs> where, where it's sort of one of its phases of attack, uh, it fires a, a massive flurry of blue stuff at you. Uh, but it does it in, in four directions. So it does, it, and it, and it alternates. So the first, second it'll be firing forward upward back and down and then the second it'll rotate those all by 45 degrees okay and it took me a while to work out that what i had to do was be above it to begin with go down into where the previous flurry was while it 
fires at 45 degrees and then go back up for for the third one where it goes back to the original cardinal directions thing. Um, and it took me a while to survive that. I knew what the pattern was, but actually working out how to, to avoid it was, was tricky. Um, so that kind of sense of mastery that you get is kind of the main progression through a roguelike. Uh, and the, the, the unlocks is kind of, like I say, it's the learning curve of not giving you all the options all at once because, you know, if you've got all the options all at once, you sort of look at it and say, I don't know what any of this means, so I'm not going to do any of it. That's right. Um, and, and I think that sort of information overload is, is something that a lot of games end up doing wrong, unfortunately. Um, there, there was a... The, the, I don't remember how far it got. There, there was a game called... Uh, was it? God Factory Wingmen? Um, I, I think they were aiming for green light or early access or, or a Kickstarter or something. This, this is a, a probably 18 months ago now. It was kind of a it was it was a, a sort of a, an arcadey kind of multiplayer space sim kind of thing, um, and it looked pretty cool. But I tried the I tried the alpha, and it immediately assaults you with here's the 572 different things you can attach to your ship. Choose five. <laughs> no. No. I don't know what any of this means, and I, that, that was that was my initial sort of gut reaction was no. No, <laughs> that was basically, it. and I'm sure that that all like understanding all of those things is probably great. Yeah, but if you just give them all to me when I don't even know what the game is, yeah, that information overload just paralyzes you, and it's the paralysis of choice. You know that too much choice is is actually a bad thing, and it and it really yeah. is. Um, so you know we we kind of give you that, that, that you you have a limited set of options to begin with, because later on you'll actually understand what those options mean, yes. because you've had time with them. Um, but like I say, the, the other half of it is very much that you just get better at the game, and, and you know, on, on our forums we do have people saying, why is this game so hard? Um, and, you know, we have beaten the game, we know it's beatable, and it's not, it's actually once you know how to beat it, it's not that hard, and if anything, it gets too easy toward the end. Right. We need to sort of, you know, there's lots of balance tweaks that we need to do. And, and people sort of saying, um, I don't get enough health packs. You, you do. You do get <laughs> enough health packs. You can beat the game with the number of health packs that we give you, and we are, we are absolutely sure of that because we have done it multiple times. Yes. The game is beatable. Um, it just depends on how you're approaching the problem. So eventually you learn that given that the health packs sort of decrease through the game, you eventually, you're eventually like, oh, so I need, to, I need to not spam my health packs in the first few levels because I need to make sure that I've got a buffer for later on. Yeah. And these sort of, again, it's that sense of mastery. Right, that that you that you uh, the game actually demands that you be good at it before you can beat it, rather than kind of a checkpoint-based system where you just go and go and go and go and eventually just you know you you happen to get through and then you get to the next checkpoint and you go and go and go and you could essentially get through it without understanding sort of the core if you mechanics want to play of the game. A game like that, go play Diablo. That's fine because that's what yeah. it is. And and Diablo is great. Diablo is great, but 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 yeah, it's it's not it's it's not the same kind of game. No, and and it's it, it's certainly and like I say, we have plenty of balancing to do. There there are many things that we can and will tweak because we kind of we have that longer view to this game that we, especially given given that it's a roguelike, you're always going to have things that that don't work out quite like you planned because procedural generation is like that. Um, so we certainly have sort of a long longer term plan for the game, uh, but at the same time we do know at bare minimum that it is that it is beatable as long as you're good at the game. Yeah. And we've seen we've seen people who are sort of real 
old school pros at Descent. Um, uh, and one guy actually beat the game on his second run. Wow. Uh, we, we were watching him live stream it, and he got, <laughs> he got, he got quite far on his first run, and then beat it on his second. Just purely because he had the, yeah. the skill. You know, he had the experience and he had the skill, and, and those sort of descent skills, yeah. uh, translated over, which, it, you know, was also quite gratifying to see that, that we'd got enough of that kind of core gameplay right that, 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 that was true. Um, but, that progression is something that we, you know, we're not going to balance that out. We're not going to, um, we're not going to kind of give you more stuff to begin with no. because hitting that wall is, is kind of part of the experience and, 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 and battling beyond it. Um, so that to me is, is the, the main kind of, and, and, and we want to make sure as well that the, the unlocks that you get do not necessarily make the game easier it's not your progression through the game is not upgrading your ship persistently to become more powerful in the future you kind of just get more options you know you get more sort of different ways to play you can sort of focus on more of a close combat kind of build or something yeah. um but it's not easier no it's just you get more options you're not unlock it's not that the first time you play the game it is impossible to beat the game uh, and that you know the 10th time suddenly we give you the keys to the kingdom uh, and you've got this one magical upgrade that, that makes it easier. What should be happening over that time is we're kind of giving you a reward for for, for <laughs> beating your head against this wall, uh, but that ultimately it's you that's improving and not the game. Yeah, you get better at it. You actually, the, the game demands skill. Not, exactly. Not, uh, you know, yeah. It's not, um, you know, the truth, the, the search for truth, justice, and better stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Not in that order either. Um, well, gentlemen, it's been fantastic talking to you and listening to you about this game. Um, Subliminal Zero is, is, is out now. Uh, it's on Windows, PC, Mac, and Linux, am I right in saying it's, it's on Windows, PC at the moment. Um, Mac very soon. Uh, Linux slightly less soon, but still fairly soon. Um, just got a few kinks to work out, but they're, they're, they are fundamentally working. A lot of our listeners have Steam boxes, including myself. So that's why I mm. asked that last question, because... Absolutely. Um, I, I built one like, a couple of years ago in Christmas time and had bits of PC lying around. Oh, look! And I cobbled it together and slapped it under my telly, and it's great. Mm. <laughs> Playing cool. weird indie games on a massive telly is this awesome? Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a friend who's recently done the same, and uh, yeah, it's 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 nice. It's nice if you can get that set up. It's extremely liberating. It's not that hard. Um, like I said, thank you very much for coming on the show. Love to have you back on when you've got another project on or. Maybe Sub-Level Zeroes has got that final multiplayer aspect. <laughs> you <laughs> promise not to talk I, about. I promise not to talk about, but I'm a journalist and a liar. <laughs> um, but, um, yes, again, thank you very much for your time. It's been awesome. Oh, it's, been, it's been great. Thank you. thank you for having us. Thank you for... Thanks thank for putting up with our really answers. answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've gone a little little bit over. Yeah, uh, just a little bit. Like an hour or something. It's like an hour. A bit. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, they're going to rush off now. But okay. <laughs> And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter 
at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show, want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!